Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching with TBA rabbinic intern Joshua Jacobs. Traditionally, we would go ahead and continue on to Chaye Sarah for the text study, but I wanted to linger on Bayera. I guess in, in honor of the what, what Rabbi Chorney just said about being able to linger in Shabbat a little longer before moving on to the next. So, because uh, there's just in every parsha, obviously, so many beautiful things, but there was a lot in Bayera that I, I just wanted to spend some more time on. So, the, I titled the, the text study Captives on the Carousel of Time, which I'm stealing from Joni Mitchell, but it's okay because that's the first text. So I'm going to read it first, and as I read it, I want you to, if you haven't already read ahead on the sheet to know where I'm going with this, think about what part uh, in Vayera this might be invoking for you, Um, and then I'll go ahead and and read the text that I'm thinking about when I read this song from Vayera, and I want to ask you what connections you draw from them. So this is from her song, Circle Game, and the chorus goes... And the seasons, they go round and round, and the painted ponies go up and down. We're captive on the carousel of time. We can't return. We can only look behind from where we came and go round and round and round in the circle game. Um, are there any guesses as to which, which moment in Viera I'm, I'm going with this? I'm wondering if, it, yeah, Gary. Oh, sorry. Did you raise your hand, Gary? Okay, great. I just couldn't get everything set up. No, it's the whole passage of a life. It's always the change of time. And to me, that was, that's the power of the thing. You don't, it's, one, it's another generation that's ending for that standpoint. Beautiful. So um, the, Sarah's death, I imagine you're referring to, right? That's, the, that's what we start with. And the passage of time, uh, uh, Abraham burying his wife, Sarah. Not the part that I was thinking of, but a perfect connection as well. Any other guesses of, of just what this might invoke for you? Well, um, yes, please. We talked about last week, but also the um, sending Hagar and uh, Ishmael away versus, uh, and then the, the <laughs> binding of Isaac, potentially killing Isaac. So this is, this is what I love about, actually, can, can you say a little more about why, what, uh, what the connection is for you there? Um, okay. Uh, I guess, well, in both cases, it's a son who is being, God is um, telling uh, Abraham to um, do something with, you know, that that's, uh, could be seen as not, you know, being, um, I don't know what say, I don't, well, it, in terms, it could be life, could be taking the life of, mm. you know, of both uh, being sent into the desert or being um, a sacrifice. So, Absolutely. Right. So th- there's a lot of transitions. There's a lot of passage of passing of a life or, or the threat of losing a life. So I think it absolutely speaks to all those themes. And it's always the strength of great songs and literature and obviously our Torah that, that we could look at the same passage and come up with so many different things. The moment that I'm thinking about is if you scroll down, if you have the um, sheet in front of you, if you, if you printed it out from uh, Bear Sheet 1926, the moment where Sodom and Gomorrah is being destroyed. And before this happens, the angels who are sent by God tell Lot 
and his wife and and family as they're escaping don't look back when when you when you run when you escape flee from the destruction right abraham negotiates with god beforehand if you find you know all the way down to if you find 10 good people i won't destroy it for the sake of the 10 and and that's still an impossible task but God allows Avram to save his nephew Lot and his family. The angels say to Lot and, and his family, as you, you know, you can, you'll, you'll run and flee, but don't, don't look back, just go. And Lot's wife looks back and is turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, it says Lot's wife looked back and she thereupon turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, um, what possible connections there? Can you justify my choice? Why did, why did I, why am I choosing this? And why did it make me think of that song? Any thoughts? Yeah, Marshall. Marshall, sorry, you're muted. Can't hear you. Okay. Uh, your song says that uh, we can't return. We can only look behind from where we came. And so she looked behind. So the question is, why did she look behind? We don't know anything about Lot's wife. Maybe she was actually a, a resident of, uh, of Sodom or Amora beforehand. That's where her family was. And remember, who had the, going back one parsha, Abraham was to leave from these three places. Nobody said to Lot's wife, you should leave also. Beautiful, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, quite literally, she looks back. And I'm very glad you raised that question because that's the question I want to pose to you all now about her looking back. We only have limited information from the shot of the text. Uh, so I did bring a commentary from Sforno on, on his, his reason. But first, of all, I want to ask you, first of all, this turning back, I think it's something that we can all relate to, right? If, if we were asked, like you said, Marshall, you, uh, if I got what you're saying correctly, you sort of point to a little bit of a I don't know if unfairness is, is too strong a word, but Abraham was, was prepped for this, right? God says to leave, gives this command, and, and uh, it's still a stark transition, but when it's coming directly from God, there's a sense of, okay. <laughs> but it doesn't seem like there's that same process for, for Lot and Lot's wife, in particular, sort of this leave now. It's an angel who says it, and it's also sudden. Um, and, it, and there isn't this great promise like, God gives to Abraham that you'll be a great nation. I'll bless you. And the nations will bless themselves by you. This is just a get out and go. And so you, you kind of can't help but really empathize with her for turning back at the life that she knew at everything at her, at her home, her neighbors, everything that's, that's being burnt to the ground. Um, and she's turned to a pillar of salt for it. So I, I wonder, does it, what do you make of this moment? Do you feel do you just feel totally for her? Like uh, the, the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime here or, um, you know, she did violate the angel's word, a divine order uh, not to turn back. So there's certainly grounds for something, but what do you make of the, the sentiment behind this moment of her turning back and the result, what the fact that she was turned into a pillar of salt and, and what can we pull from that? Uh, about the nature of looking back in our own lives and how that can impact us. Well, I just want to say that I don't, I, I think everybody would look back. I think the only way you could avoid looking, looking back is if God talked to you directly. I'm sorry, but it's, it's, it's what we call in the law an attractive nuisance. You know, like you see something like a burning, whatever, or an accident. Why does everybody look at it? 
because you can't help but look at it. That's that that was my first reaction to it. Whether the punishment fits the crime, I don't know. I mean, turn into a pillow versus pillar of salt that seems a little excessive but on the other hand um we don't know anything about her so maybe it's fitting i don't know yeah i mean you're all pointing uh accurately to this lack of information about Lois wife we don't even we don't even have her name right she's ishtar eshet wife like we, we eshet lot we don't we don't have her name so there's a lot we don't know about her um and and like you pointed out it's this it's human nature it's a natural reaction and instinct so it seems harsh to be punished for an instinct. Um, but but if, if we go beyond the sort of judging the judgment that was cast on her, if, if, we, if we understand this to be commentary on our own lives, because I think there's something extremely powerful about this notion. Uh, and I see you, Joanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on you next, but um, of the desire to look back, but also when we do it, how it can paralyze, how it can be paralyzing. And I just want to say, I think Brant, what you said about everybody, uh, there's nothing wrong with looking back. In fact, as, as Jews, uh, memory plays a huge, as a huge theme in Jew, right? Rem- uh, remember, never forget the Holocaust, Zichronot and the high holiday service, all of this about memory. Um, it's so ingrained in us to remember and turn back. I mean, tradition, uh, as conservative Jews, tradition is an extremely vital part of our, of our identity. So, it can't be an indictment of looking back. Looking back is something that we're encouraged to do and we do all the time. So I, I, I don't think so, that's but if the looking issue. Back is, maybe if, maybe if, it's if, if looking back paralyzes you, if looking back holds you back, if looking back doesn't allow you to go forward, if by looking back you are actually going back, maybe that's the problem. Well, Great. It's true that we all look back. I mean – Gee, Lord knows I have a checkered history, but the reality is, is that that you know we we take our history and we use it to propel ourselves forward, hopefully in a better way. She must. I mean, you could look at it by the term "looking back" as being paralyzed by looking back and unable to move forward, and that's why she turned into a pillar of salt. Right. So thank you for bringing that distinction. And I haven't forgotten your hand, Joanna, so I'm going to get you in just a second. But thank you for bringing that distinction, because I think you're absolutely right. Um, There's a difference between being informed by our past and being captives to it. Um, And it's easier said than done. I mean, I I can't help but dwell on on the past and not just for the major thing. I have in third grade, my best friend Julian didn't give me a birthday present in third grade, and I think about it every day. So <laughs> it's it's very hard to like imagine the things that really weigh on us yeah. in our past and the actual traumas and the things. So so certainly the the past can be traumatizing and paralyzing. Uh, uh, but again, I don't think it's about, and, and I don't think this parsha is saying not to confront your past to face down your demon. I think we sh- certainly should have a healthy relationship to our past, not not to avoid it, not to, to be in denial of it. I, I think we wouldn't want to venture down any dangerous roads that are unhealthy. But I think there, what you're, this distinction you're bringing about being informed by the past, having a healthy relationship to it, versus being paralyzed by it, and that being an impediment to f- progress and forward movement. Uh, Joanna. Sorry that it's been a bit. No worries. I just wanted to say that in my mind, um, I'm linking sort of, you know, into this week's Parsha and a very famous Midrash we have about this week and kind of reading that same kind of Midrash back onto Lot's wife. So um, there's a Midrash that um, 
Sarah passed away when she heard the devastating news that Yitzhak had been sacrificed and the word hadn't gotten, you know, to her that, you know, the plan had been changed at the last moment. And I sort of wonder a little bit, because if you read the text carefully, it doesn't say that Lot's wife was punished. It's just that she turned into a pillar of salt. And there are so many details missing from this story that I wonder if what happened is she looked back. She was so devastated by what she saw that like it caused her to have a heart attack and pass away. And Nitziv to me is connected to the word that we see um, over and over in Genesis about when significant things happen in a place, a matseva is put there, like a a monument of some kind. And so if the fact that she turned into a Nitziv Melech wasn't necessarily the punishment, but it was a monument to remember this event that happened in this place. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that actually... I had a visceral reaction to that. A pause, like it gave me chills because absolutely. Nitzavim, right? Uh, a mitzav. Uh, and, and, and that link to history too. You not only tied it to Chaye Sarah, but also to this theme of the past that she became a, a, a representative of the past too. Like she, I, I don't know if you're going there with that, but, but to become a monument, she herself is, is a symbol of being frozen in time or of, of the past. She becomes the past in a way or, or something to commemorate. Uh, what happened or the, or the past, that moment. Um, there was a lot in what, what you just said. Um, and I want to unpack all of it. And I want to give everybody a chance to address and respond to it. But I want to add Sforno's commentary to it, because I think this is also a very good segue to it. So Sforno, Sforno agrees with all of you saying that, and Ramban also agrees that it doesn't seem like it's a punishment, right? You were saying it's, nowhere does it say it's a punishment. Ramban and Sforno agree. Uh, they don't think it's a punishment either. Sforno says... The evil would catch up with you as soon as you interrupt your march away from it. This is precisely what happened to his wife when she ignored the instructions and looked behind. So I'm going to read that one more time. The, the evil would catch up with you as soon as you, in, as you interrupt your march away from it. So I just want to open it up now for responses to what Joanna said, uh, to what Brant said right before that, and, and to this, what Sforno is bringing to the conversation here. So Forno is not saying it's a punishment. That's clear. Right. He's saying this is the, the natural process of whatever happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you cease your forward movement away, you're going to get caught up in it. if You don't follow the instructions, but it's not because you turn back. It's just that that natural process of destroying the city is going to get you. Exactly right. I mean, I think the, the movie version of this is Indiana Jones. Right. And and. You'd, I mean, he goes back for his hat, but, but basically there's no, t- it's so, if you slow down, it'll overtake you. So I think there's a little bit of that action movie, but if you go deeper, I think there's real commentary on our relationship to the past and it's, it's effect on us that uh, it's, it's, I don't, again, I don't think it's saying not to confront your past, not to have a healthy relationship to it, not to have memory be a big part of your life and even your every day. But this idea that if you're not, if, if you allow it to interrupt your march forward, how it can be paralyzing and how it can overtake you. Isn't that what post-traumatic stress disorder is for soldiers in a certain sense that they can't, they, they're exposed to such trauma that they can't move forward. And they, they, without like 
severe intervention and, and therapies and stuff that they they constantly reliving the past, you know, their past combat experiences and they can't actually get forward in life. It it just comes back and haunts them a noise, a sound, you know. Isn't that what we, we've come to understand about battle fatigue and stuff like that? I think so. I mean, obviously not an, an expert in that, but I think that's a great example to bring. Also, to, uh, what I hear you saying, too, is like, yeah, easier said than done, too. Right? Like for so many people, it's, it's really not a choice of, of this like, oh, they're getting caught up. It felt like, that. you know, uh, you suffer a, a trauma like that or, or suffer mental, a mental illness as a result of that it's easier said than done to, to not let your past interrupt your forward movement. So thank you. That thickens and deepens the conversation because I, I don't mean to suggest, you know, just keep marching on. I mean, it truly more easier said than done, but at the same time, I do think that looking at the, the uh, this moment that way does offer a lot of inspiration about how we choose to, to march on uninterrupted by the evils of our past. Um, that's not to say not informed by or, or, or having grown as a result of encountering the evils of the past, but to not be captive to it, uh, in, if that's possible, in so far as that's possible. Um, at least that's what I'm gleaning from it. Um, I want to give you one more text, uh, and then we'll continue on with, with Mari. But in addition to the song, there was another moment um, from, from literature that this moment that the, that the Pasu uh, evoked for me, which is from the catcher in the rye at the very end. Um, Holden, uh, takes Phoebe to the zoo, his, his little sister to the zoo. And then after that, uh, to this merry-go-round to carousel. Um, and he's just watching her on the carousel with all the other kids. And, um, if, if, if you remember Holden, uh, his purpose, he, he shares with us earlier in the book that all he wants to do is be the catcher in the rye, that, that he wants to save kids from falling off the cliff into adulthood, into a world of phonies, into, in, into a world where um, in the book it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's expletive. So I, I don't want, but F U is written on every wall. Right. And, and he wants to save kids from encountering that kind of world and especially his, his little sister. And that's all he wants to do all day is be the catcher in the rye. But at the very end of the book, as he's watching her on this carousel, which again, here's the carousel imagery, the circle game coming back. Um, he says this, then the carousel started and I watched her go round and round. All the kids tried to grab for the gold ring and so did old Phoebe. And I was sort of afraid she'd fall off the horse, but I, I didn't say or do anything. The thing with kids is if they want to grab for the gold ring, you have to let them do it and not say anything. If they fall off, they fall off. But it is bad to say anything to them. Um, I, I think what makes that moment uh, so meaningful, at least in Holden's arc for development, is that it's sort of a departure from this, I want to be the catcher in the rye who saves them. It's, in the quote, he says, if they fall off, they fall off. It's this acknowledgement that as much as you may want to, you can't stop time. Right. The, the carousel seems to represent, as Joni Mitchell says, the circle game time, the seasons going round and round time progresses on. And there's nothing you can do to stop time or to stop the kids from grasping for the gold ring, which you could interpret as anything. Maybe it's hope. Um, but as long as as they are grasping for it, if they fall, they fall. It's a real change in Holden's thinking. Um, but like a carousel, right, we go up and down. The painted ponies go up and down. We experience highs and lows of life. And at times, no, no matter how much you might want to scream 
at the operator to stop the ride, you can't. We, we, we continue on and we move forward. And I think that's where Lot's wife and what Sforno is bringing to us um, about not letting the, the evil of the past paralyze you or um, keep you from marching on uh, ties in together. So I just want to leave room now for, for closing thoughts, remarks, uh, disagreements, uh, any last thoughts before we move on to Mari. Uh, Marshall, yeah. Yes. Uh, I just want to comment about the Sephorno specifically and with the source of the Sephorno with the translation that is, there was a work done by Eliyahu Munk called Hachuta Mishulash, the threefold chord. Basically, you have a threefold chord. It cannot easily be severed one part from the other. Unfortunately, this is not a good translation of what's the, what the Hebrew says. So I want to, if I can, Josh, to translate the Hebrew to see if that throws any additional light on the whole thing. Please, but not if it undoes the whole argument, because then I have no leg to stand on. <laughs> so it is commenting on the, the statement, Al-Tabet Acharecha, or Acharayat, do not look behind you. And then Sforno says in the Hebrew, Ki ha-ra'a For evil will extend itself to you as you are going, as it is going after you, but it will not cause injury to you. Then it continues, Aval But if you stop in any place, sort of an unplanned stopping, um, to look, then this evil will attach itself. In fact, it will become glued to you, right? We have to say, we got stuck to you, right? As it occurred to his wife, that she became like a pillar of stone. So in effect, she in effect became paralyzed, whether she actually died there, metaphorically or actually, we don't know. But she's just kind of stuck in one place. And you know that the Dead Sea doesn't support it in any life. And therefore, uh, she, in effect, could not go forward. And she also couldn't go backwards. Thank you for bringing that. Um, and I apologize for not uh, double-checking to make sure that the translation was as accurate as possible. But I'm, I'm so glad you brought that in. It really deepens uh, our understanding of it, too, because it, it made, as you were saying that, it made me think of Siag around the Torah, right? That build a fence around the Torah. It, it, uh, you're allowed to look in a mirror in Shabbat, but the rabbis say you're not, because if you look in the mirror, you might find a stray hair and you might want to pluck it. And if you pluck it, well, then you've broken Shabbat. So it, it almost seems to me like there's no harm per se in looking back. But the issue is if you look back, you might then stop. And if you stop, then the evil can overtake. I, I, I don't know if you got that as well, but that was sort of where my mind went to. So maybe like Joni Mitchell says, I mean, we can only look back. There's no harm in looking back and we shouldn't feel discouraged from looking back, but how we then uh, respond to that. I think that's what's so interesting about we, this. We text. have to look back and then we have to, have to keep on going forward. Right. Right. Um, so I hope this brings uh, some comfort or, or inspiration. It, it does to me every time I read it. Um, and thank you, everybody, for enriching this conversation with all of your contributions. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA. 
LA.org.